Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode uh, 201 of the In Squash podcast. And we've got an excellent uh, one for you today. Mike Way makes his return. Uh, he came on the pod uh, on episode four, way back when, when we didn't even have a microphone. And uh, he comes on and talk, we talk about several uh, really interesting topics. We have a great chat. Uh, obviously, Mike's a highly prolific coach. Uh, back in the day, coach to world champion, world number one Canadian legend, Mike, uh, Jonathan power and now of course uh, the highly successful head coach at Harvard uh, several national championships there under his belt for both the men and the women and their season is kicking off in November and he comes on to talk about his teams and and to talk about the excitement of the season kicking off after uh, the COVID hiatus and uh, everyone's really excited uh, obviously including Mike and we talk about that and, we, and his teams and how things are looking uh, this season we also take a, a look at uh, Gina Kennedy and Sabrina Sobey's success on the PSA Tour and he gives us some insight on their games and his history uh, having uh, coached them at Harvard uh, as well as uh, his appearance at the World Championships. He doesn't uh, really t- uh, spend too much time watching the Pro Tour as he says these days but he did uh, take in the World Champs with Ali Farag there and what his role was and what he was doing in Chicago to support Ali. We talk a bit about that. And also we talk uh, about officiating and the rule changes, uh, interactions between players and refs. Obviously, uh, during his time with Jonathan Power, uh, there was a lot of that going on, exciting part of the game at the time. And uh, that's changed a little bit, but uh, there, there is some discussion these days in the squash uh, social media and, and squash circles about interactions between certain players and officials and rule changes, and we talk a lot about that. So I know you're going to enjoy this one. Episode 201 with Legend and the guy who told me I need to work on my heavy footwork and I still am and thanks to him it's improved a lot. Mike Way. And how about you Mike? Uh, I guess you had a, uh, a busy summer uh, you know away from, from Harvard I guess a little bit. You did your clinics uh, uh, I guess a few clinics around uh, the world. I, I remember back in the day it would have been the mid late eighties. Uh, you did a lot of this. I mean, you were well sought after throughout Canada. So you, you would, you dropped by uh, one of our provincial team uh, training sessions one year in Halifax. That used to be a big, right. big, yeah. Thing. But now, now it's more of a global. Yeah. Thing. I went, I went, I went down to the East coast. Yeah. I went down the East coast a few times. I, I, I love going, I love going down to the East coast. Halifax, yeah. I did some John's once. I did oh, yeah. Moncton. Yeah. Um, and a uh, and a and a couple of other couple of other spots I can't uh, I can't quite remember, but yeah, no, loved it down there. But so this year because of COVID, we weren't allowed any um, we weren't allowed any um, camps at Harvard. So it was I always do a few on the road, but it was it was a few more. It felt like the old days, and I must admit I uh, I enjoyed it. I like going on the road, and you get to work with uh, more coaches. Uh, when you go on the road and when you when it's just with your crew so you know, you're being exposed to to more coaching ideas more you know different methodologies and and uh, I, you know, I always feel like uh, I'm learning a bit more when I go on the road than when I'm just doing my own thing of course absolutely where where did you I know you were in the UK for a bit weren't you or? <clears throat> no I didn't do any camps there no I've never I've, I've, okay. I don't, can't remember if I've ever done a camp over there to be honest I've, no just in the UK <clears throat> visiting um visiting yeah. the folks but um but this year you know, i was in in san fran uh new jersey baltimore 
couple of times in New York, a couple of times in uh, in Rhode Island. So it was all good. It was uh, it was yeah, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. That's brilliant. Okay, well, obviously uh, you're gearing up uh, as you mentioned for the colleges, and it must be. Uh, I mean, with all the COVID stuff too. I mean, that's got to really uh, have added uh, to the workload. Weird. Well, it's um, look, we're gonna we're gonna find out, right? It's in the early stages. Now we've only you know we only have the kids back on campus for a week or so. We don't start official practice till the middle of October. So we'll see. You know, the coaches are going to learn how to navigate, and with the Delta strain now, sort of really getting a foothold. We're just praying that it doesn't encroach too much, and we have further limitations. Uh, but we'll have to see. You know, we've got a schedule. We've got the matches booked, and uh, we'll yeah. see how it unfolds. But we've got what we do have. What everyone has is we've got excited athletes uh, chomping at the bit and ready to get back to. Uh, competition, doing the thing they love, and uh, uh, and the coaches are also. I think all the coaches are, are, are fired up as well. We're all ready, right? It's been a long haul, and we're not through it yet. We know we're not through it, yeah. but at least we're at a stage where it looks as if we can have a season. Awesome. You see, in uh, I guess in a lot of American pro sports these days, there's this, a lot of controversy over. You know, I guess ninety percent of the team is vaccinated, and then there's the the two or three guys who who are just sort of holding out. That that's not going to be an issue uh, at the college level, is it? That kind of thing. I don't think so. I think most of the colleges it will be mandatory, unless it's for medical reasons or religious reasons. So I I don't know the exact percentage at Harvard, but I think. I think it's north of 95% of the students are vaccinated and right. probably um, maybe a couple of points higher on the faculty. So <clears throat> we feel pretty good. I mean, we're still in a mask wearing environment um, when we're on campus, but the students can, uh, can practice, drill and compete without the mask. I'm, I'm talking about for inside sports, obviously the outside sports are fine. So it's it, look, we, we're 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 able to do our thing, um, and that's that's what's going to keep the energy energy up there. But we've have we got to be, um, uh, is everyone wary, and have we got to still follow the rules and the guidelines of each institutions? Absolutely, there cannot be. You know, the, the one thing we can't do, which is very easy now that you know nearly everyone has been vaccinated, is is to relax, get a little complacent. And um, that's, of course, what the higher ups and everyone across the board here is fighting against to make sure that the students <clears throat> follow the guidelines, follow the rules and regulations so that we can keep this Delta variant in check as far as we're able. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, but obviously, you're, you're everybody, as you mentioned, is gearing up for the college season. And it's been a while and every, you know, players, you, your, the coaches, uh, the team, as a whole, is very excited. The season kicks off, uh, I believe, in early November, and then the first the first matches per se begin, I think, on the twentieth. But I guess uh, uh, you know, just looking at, at the team, uh, you, the men, uh, you must be happy with the, you know, the guys who are returning. You've got Victor, uh, Victor's coming back for Duquan, and uh, Marwan is also coming back. Your two uh, top players, I think, that were there uh, before things. Uh, COVID hit. So uh, that bodes well for you, uh, don't you think, uh, in terms of the men? Oh, yeah. Look, well, <clears throat> look uh, the, the most important thing 
is, um, I mean, you want those strong players at the top because they're they're pushing everybody down. Um, and obviously everyone's, I mean, the, the goal is to go out there and win a bit of silverware. But to be honest, the most important thing is that you've got um, you've got two squads because we cover both programs that are absolutely passionate about their sport. And if you've got a group of guys that are passionate about their sport, that means they're going to train hard. They're going to work hard. They're going to hopefully listen to the coaches. And, um, and, and that makes for uh, a great environment. And when you're spending five, six days um, training sessions, uh, five, six days a week, you want there to be a really good environment. You want a great culture on the team. So it's great having uh, those top guys. And of course, they, to many, not to all, but to many, they'll be role models. But the most important thing is the attitude, the attitude of the upperclassmen, the attitude of the captains. Um, and then that determines in large part what the culture is on the team. And then what the culture is on the team is going to determine how smart we are and how well we'll train. And it's critical to get those components in there. So do we want to be in the mix competitively? Yes, of course we do. And the goal is to try and win something. But it's a secondary, it's a secondary focus. The most important focus is actually having recruited uh, the right student athletes with, uh, with the right attitude and coachability, which they get from their parents and their primary coaches back home. Um, and if we recruited well, then we know we're going to have a good season. And what I mean by a good season is we're going to have an enjoyable season. It's yeah. going to be exciting. It's going to be fun and it's going to be enjoyable. Um, but if we don't recruit right, and every coach has been through it, if you, when you make mistakes and the, the, and the, the culture on the team or something fractures on the team, boy, it's a, it's a long, it's a long haul. I bet. Well, I think you're, you're pretty lucky in, in turn. I mean, lucky and also you've done a, a great job recruiting. I, I hadn't spoken to Marwan, but uh, I spoke, I've had Victor on the podcast a couple of times and, and this guy, I mean, he just seems like such a, you know, first of all, very professional, great guy, nice guy, takes it, you know, he, he enjoys a squash, but he's also very, you know, he's very professional about it. Just to, you know, speak to uh, to Victor and what, what he brings to the team in terms of uh, being, being uh, you know, the, the senior guy or the, maybe the, the number one player on the team and the, the role model, as you uh, just mentioned. Um, well, you know, Victor is, uh, you know, he's, um, he, he's a special lad. Um, and he's a special lad because he's just got a very, uh, uh, he's just got a very methodical way in how he approaches everything, whether it's his technique, his training. I mean, I was down on the courts this morning. He's doing his ghosting session. There's no one else in the building. He's on, in there on his own. <clears throat> he knows what works for him. He knows what he likes to do. He checks in with his dad, who's his primary coach, obviously on a regular basis but he's very coachable. He's very easy to be with. Um, and, 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 and he takes the feedback well. So when it comes to making adjustments on his technique or digging a bit more into the mental side or working on a specific uh, that he needs to do for the next level up, 
or someone he struggled with before, like uh, like an Andrew Douglas, who is the number one for um, is the number one for Penn. Yeah, he's just easy to go. Through, you know, you you go through the program. You say, look, I think this is going to work. One, two, three. Let's get her done two, three times a week, uh, whatever whatever's required. And then he gets on. He gets on with it. <clears throat> and there's never there, there, there's just there, there's never a, a, any emotion attached to the program, and that's what makes it easy. And that's what makes him a role model in our program. So very often, of course, there will be emotion attached and there'll be a bit of catastrophizing <clears throat> and a bit of what we call the oh my God file comes out. Um, and they, 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 they struggle, uh, many athletes, uh, they struggle to stick to the facts. So if their drop shots are not working, oh my God, I can't hit my drop shot. All right. So, in, but Victor's not like that. Victor sticks to the facts, um, and that makes it much, much easier to navigate, to give him feedback, um, and much more straightforward uh, on the program. Right on. I, I, I mean, this just popped into my mind. I don't know if you've seen or, or if you watch any Netflix at all, but they've had these series of uh, documentaries on American football and basketball. Uh, the Last Chance University. I mean, obviously, these, you know, recruited athletes are, you know, come from very special circumstances, but you can see the dynamics sometimes when things go wrong uh, on occasion between the, the player and the coach and, and when, you know, maybe the player just sort of maybe a bit stubborn and whatnot. Uh, obviously, that's happened yeah. over the years with, with you. Um, but how, how do you as a coach uh, uh, handle that and overcome uh, those situations with the player just to get them back uh, on track, uh, so to speak? Well, we do. Look, well, we do have those. <laughs> we do have those. Moments. We've had them. We've had them uh, plentiful in the past. We have them less now. And the most important thing I mean, I'll, I'll address your question directly in a minute, but the most important thing is the recruiting. So, you know, it's not that when you've got kids that are resistant and stubborn um, uh, and they have this, they put on this, uh, they role play toughness or they, you know, it's a bit of a masquerade um, and they can be, they can be tough to do. It's not that they're bad kids. It's just that they're, it's a cover up. So uh, it's, it's usually a fragility. So you've got to recognize it, that it is a fragility. And then through getting to know the person better, you've got to try and navigate that. Now, in extreme circumstances, which we have had, um, that is not always possible. You can make progress, <clears throat> but you won't get to where you want to be and where, and where it's best for the individual, for the athlete. So the most important thing is to, is to, is to really look carefully at how you recruit. And it's not just to do with your ranking, your accomplishments. We dig deeper um, all the time uh, on all our recruits, and I can honestly say that um, we, we we've had a good we've had a good run. We haven't we always get some surprises, but we haven't had <clears throat> um, we haven't had real disappointments um, in a long time. So you know, and 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 having you know, misjudging on, on through the recruiting process will manifest itself in different ways. I mean, one of the worst things that can happen is when a kid drops out of the program. So did they drop out because they 
are burnt out through the sport or they don't they didn't fit into the team or they don't like your coaching style or the academic um, aspect was was too tough or there are other factors personal factors that come into play <clears throat> so some you can't uh, anticipate but you've got to do your homework so that would be number one when it actually happens <clears throat> when it does happen and there's resistance then the, 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 the two best ways to approach it are first of all We've got four coaches in the program or three coaches and a strength and conditioning coach. We're all very different people. It it would be unusual to have um, none of us be able to reach one particular student. So the goal of ours when the kids come, I like to connect. Obviously, every coach wants to connect with every athlete that he's got, but that's not always possible. So in in the squash office, there's Luke and Hamid. Um, we're three very different people. We get on fantastically, but we're very different. We've got different approaches, different, we use different vocabulary. So one of us is going to reach the, the uh, one athlete where another one is struggling to reach. So that would be the first thing. Then the second thing is, is, is to really, again, it's going back to the facts of the situation. So it's using video evidence um, as feedback. <clears throat> we might touch base with a primary coach but sometimes the primary coach might, in some cases, be part of the problem. Mm-hmm. So if they don't, <clears throat> if the if the primary coach doesn't like what your what your methodology is, and they are they are um, declaring that to the athlete, that is when things can be really problematic. Mm-hmm. But that has happened <clears throat> uh, less and less through my experience through my tenure at Harvard. Number one. Um, and number two, I think that, that what goes with that is we've become a more international program. So um, we think that having a broad international um, recruiting strategy is is best for everyone. Um, there's a bit more. You can feel the difference in the program when there, there's more a more international quotient there. And there's, <clears throat> there's a little bit more humility um a little bit more respect um on the team and and with the other team the men and the women have to get on together and it just makes for a better environment so you know the behavior of one individual will usually fall in line with the behavior of the uh, of the team so if you've got one outlier and they're struggling uh in the way that you mentioned with the stubbornness They'll usually come around by finding the right coach, looking, dealing with the facts from the feedback from video analysis. And then because the culture in the program from the upperclassmen, um, from the captains is where it needs to be. And that, that becomes part of their job, the leadership aspect that's happening on the, on the team. And usually, usually, um, we'll still have our moments, but usually kids will come around and we can make progress. Well, you've obviously, I mean, with a guy like Victor, who's uh, made some really good uh, inroads on the pro tour as well. I mean, most, I'm sure most of your team look up to him uh, quite a bit. I'm just wondering, uh, Mike, you know, when, when you got a guy, uh, guys and gals who, who play uh, on the PSA tour, I guess Gina would have played uh, a few events back when she was playing, but not many. 
But you see, you know, a guy like Yusuf Ibrahim as well. He's just come into uh, Princeton. Victor's come in. And uh, he, uh, these guys are obviously ready to roll, and they're very fit and re- firing, uh, uh, ready to hit the ground running. What, what about the, the other players? How does that play out uh, when you, I, I guess, maybe expectations from you and, and the other coaches are that they, uh, that they uh, prepare well before they, they arrive uh, at Harvard for 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 squad. Well, yeah. Look, we we don't want to look. The, the biggest the the, the biggest uh, issue that we deal with, believe it or not, is burnout. So, I mean, just l- literally just last week, I was talking to a. Uh, it's a kid that we 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 hope to recruit for um for twenty three. The recruiting for September twenty two is now done. Um, and this kid attended um. Uh, a couple of uh, camps this summer, and um, and she was clearly uh, burning out. And so, um, <clears throat> even though we want them to be ready when they turn up on campus and fit, um, I want them to have taken a break. I, the, the biggest thing we're dealing with is, is an imbalance uh, mm-hmm. with people's training and the quantity factor. The more, more, more. You know, we used to have a squash season over here we don't have a squash season anymore there's tournaments all through the summer kids are training all the time they're doing too much i get emails from kids not every day but nearly every day um boasting about the number of hours devoted to their sport now they're probably a lot of them are exaggerating because they think it's going to get my attention but i don't want to hear that a kid is spending four i just got one two weeks ago from a canadian kid i'm training four hours a day you're training four hours a day are you serious I mean, just it's just not making any sense. So in the program, <clears throat> we want the kids to turn up. We want the kids to turn up and to be to be able to do the training um, uh, and, uh, uh, and and to take the workload, but 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 it's really preseason. but we we don't expect them to turn up and be uh, and have their game at level ten. Now, a victor, or Hannah Moataz might come in with their game close to that because they've actually got PSA events coming up. There's one in uh, in a week's time, <clears throat> but we don't want. So we want there to be a balance. So the program there's there's mandatory practice five days a week uh, for about ninety minutes, and then there's the strength and conditioning that goes on top of that. Um, there's a, a mandatory day off. And then there's what we call a cobweb session on the day before we come back to regular practice. <clears throat> so, cobweb so that's the mandatory aspect. A cobweb session is where, so if they finish training on a Friday at five o'clock, say, mm-hmm. and they take Saturday off, if they take Sunday off completely, by Monday, Monday becomes the cobweb session because the body's now had, uh, you know, 48 plus hours. Um, off nearly n- nearly three days actually, and it's um and it's just not going to function well. <clears throat> so the cobweb session is just to make sure that if Saturday is the day off, then on the Sunday that there's a there's, there's just a little bit, you know, uh, m- moving the body. So all told, you know, forty to sixty minutes all told doesn't have to be hard, but just move that body. So on the Monday we can really uh, hit the ground running. That's that's what that's about. But the keen guys, 
that might want two sessions a day or two sessions a day, three days a week. They just have to ask. We don't mandate that, but everybody knows. So Victor won't do, as an example, Victor, Marwan, and Hannah now, and Gina when she was here, they won't do two sessions a day every day, but they might do two sessions a day, three days a week, all right? And, and they're, again, they're trying to navigate um, with their academics. And what's the most important thing? The most important thing is that the session is of high quality. So again, when you go back to kids that are uh, stating that they're doing three, four hours a day, um, it's probably not of the highest quality or it's not of the highest quality for long enough. So we tell our guys, when you come down, we want you down early. We want you well prepared. And it's all casual and relaxed and we're all talking, laughing and joking and sharing stories. But when we hit the courts, let's hit the courts. Let's yeah. make it a quality, quality session. And that's really what that's really what you want. So with the other athletes that you were referring to, that helps them. They're not, they don't want to do two sessions a day, most of them, but they they like to be pushed and everyone we need the quality so that's that's what we're doing and it's a balance and it's not it's not a one size fits all and each coach has their way of doing things and each athlete has their way of doing things um but overall we're trying to hit that right balance uh for each of them to make the program you know uh i mean obviously it's got to be uh, there's a generic aspect but there's got to be a lot of specifics because we're an individual sport so what are the specifics to those athletes and how much individual attention do they get? And then how is that going to be incorporated into the team training? Um, mm. And it, yeah, so it's, it's, part of the, it's part of the excitement of, of being a coach. Yeah, that sounds exciting. I, I just wanted to ask you, I would be remiss if I didn't, uh, because you did, you brought up Gina there and, and the women's team, uh, obviously she'll be leaving, but you've got uh, Amina uh, Yostri and uh, you mentioned Hannah uh, coming back as seniors. So do you feel pretty, pretty confident as well? Uh, and obviously the rest of, of the squad looks good too, uh, that the women will be uh, uh, ready to compete as well? Oh yeah, I think both teams are going to be ready to compete. Um, <clears throat> it's um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm confident in who we've got. I mean, what we, what we never talk about is you know, are we going to win? So right. you know, all all I you know, the goal the goal is to be in contention. That is that to be honest is 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 always the always the goal, and uh, and we want to be um, uh, you know, that's um. If we're in contention, then they're they're engaged. But yeah, no, I feel uh, I'm excited about it. Remember, we've got a lot of kids here that we have not seen before, and they've not been in team practice. So it's not just one group coming in starting this year. It's over um, it's over two seasons. So the yeah. kids that were here last year, um, there there was no team environment, so we don't know where they fit in. So we've got half the, half the program. Half the program are are new guys, right? Yeah, that's that's got to be exciting and uh, sort of uh, uh, quite an interesting uh, period for you. Something you've never really experienced. I guess I guess you sort of know what you're getting, but uh, it's been uh, a bit of time away. So uh, I guess you just have to hope everybody's been uh, been doing their playing their squash and training a bit. Well, they've kept in touch. That's where again is where you. That's where your captains come in. 
Um, yeah. And they're they're communicating with each other these days. You know, I mean, my, my God, you know, social media. They're 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 yeah. communicating with each with each other x number of times a day, and they're sharing their training. They're, they're, there's been all sorts of stuff uh, go, going on. So, uh, and we rely we re, we rely on good leadership, and the good leadership uh, is coming from. So we've got to be communicating with everyone, but the good leadership really in this regard is coming from the captain. Very good. Very good. Well, uh, now speaking of, uh, I'd like to move on a little bit just to to the some of your players that have done well on, on the pro tour here, or the Harvard players anyways, uh, obviously. Gina, uh, I've spoken to recently on, on here, and uh, she's gotten her teeth into the pro game uh, really well of late. Uh, I mean, she's making huge inroads, but strangely, her uh, I guess she just hasn't played enough tournaments. She's still I think around 59 in the world where she, you know, she should be up there in the, the top 20 at least. But regardless, um, what was she like for you to coach during their, during her four years at Harvard? Uh, uh, I mean, she's just a you know, supreme athlete, very, very fit and, and uh, just great to watch on court. She gives it her all. Uh, what were those years like for you uh, with her? I know she spoke highly of her time spent with you. Uh, yeah, no, they look. You know, as you say, Gina's Gina's the she's the workhorse. So uh, you know, from a coach's perspective, <clears throat> it was it was real it was really easy. I mean, it's, I think Gina's one of those people that, in some ways, you're wanting to pull the reins sometimes. So that incredible energy she's got, um, uh, and and if you look at you know her attributes and her athleticism and how she wins uh, is also um, you know so your strengths your strengths can often reflect your weaknesses um, and you know she had an incredibly successful junior career that's that's why we and everybody else wanted to recruit her <clears throat> but when you turn pro. And when you want to go up the ladder, you have to nurture those um, those strengths. I always like to, a term that Nick Matthew uses, which is you know you take your strengths and you make them your super strength. Yeah. And I think she did that. You know the physical aspects, um, her speed around the court, her fitness level, and so on. But you must also look to see. Um, how that this athlete must develop, and especially if they're going to go full time and compete on the pro tour. So if you look at if you look at Peter Nickel, and he was also he was also a very very physical beast. But what what impressed me about Peter was that as he improved, I remember when I was working with, working with Jonathan and Graham and Shahir, as 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 Jonathan was getting better, Peter uh, would come back better as well. And I think that Peter, I think his short game improved, mm. his tactical awareness improved. He was always going to be good at closing down the court. Yeah. He was always going to be that attritional player. <clears throat> so when it came to Gina, I think I still think that she's in the middle of it right now. Um, uh, but obviously, you know, she's working with. Um, she'll be working with her coach on this for sure. Um, but it's where where is she going to be, and how is she going to develop? tactically um and so so you reach a stage whereby is your are, are your physical attributes are you using them well or are they blocking something else and do they get in the way 
Um, and I, I think I that's what... Mike, if you wouldn't mind, I mean, I think what you just said a few minutes ago is pure gold here. And I think I got, I've got my head around it, but your strengths can also reflect your weaknesses. Would you, would you mind just sort of expanding yeah. on, on that just a little bit? Okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm saying this with, with all the respect in the world. So if you look at Paul Cole, and he's really developed his game, and he, you know, so his short game has, has got better, <clears throat> and his tactical understanding is, is, is getting better. Um, um, but if you were to go back and you saw how he was as a, as a physical beast, um, you might have looked at him from a coach's perspective and say, well, he's wanting in the short game and he's wanting in, the, in, in his tactical understanding. And, and so that's what I mean. So his, the, the strength that he had was not to do with his physical aspects, his, his lateral movement, his cutting the ball off, his basic hitting and so on. <clears throat> Um, so, you know, coaches are looking at different things to help develop these other aspects. And again, it, it doesn't matter if you're not going to compete with the best in the world and you're not hungry enough. But if you really want to compete, you have to be digging down into every aspect. So, so if, you, if you take a Gina or someone who plays like that, she played with a very, very high energy and she would sometimes overrun the ball. Um, and not think clearly enough. So maybe not lifting the ball enough. She always wants to hit it hard or so. And so again, you've got the strengths that have got her to where she was as a junior. You know, you're number one in England. You're number one in Europe. <clears throat> you're playing number one at Harvard. You win a national, uh, a national collegiate title. So it looks as if, you know, firing on all cylinders physically but is that going to make you the best squash player you can possibly be um, uh, it, with, 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 the, with the top players? So now you're looking at, okay, so what do you, what do you have to do tactically? And, and, and to develop the tactical stuff always means you've got to develop the mental stuff because yeah. you, cannot, you cannot just address tactical stuff without the mental. The mental comes first and then the tactics can be taught more easily. It doesn't mean you can't teach tactics in your training sessions, but they will not, they will not be executed well if they're not addressed mentally. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, another, I mean, how, tell, tell me what you think about Sabrina. I mean, uh, obviously we know uh, Amanda's done incredibly well, but uh, Sabrina Sobey's been playing uh, you know, surprisingly uh, very, very good squash at, you know, at the highest levels. I mean, she almost took out Joelle King there uh, a few weeks back. Um, I mean, what is it about her yeah. game that, that impresses you? I mean, uh, for me, it's just, uh, I mean, she's got incredible shot making. She, she gets around the court really well. She's athletic. Uh, she puts the ball away. She's dogged. Uh, um, so what, what is it, do you think uh, that that's, you know, so special about her game and what does she need to do? Because uh, I think she just needs a little something to get over that hump. Well, I, look, she's so similarly to Gina, she's a physical beast. I mean, if you look at, um, if you if you watch Sabrina's movement on the court, I mean, she can be gazelle-like. She can glide around the court, you know, you, you, I, I don't know all 
of the, the top girls well <clears throat> in the world, all the guys. But I, I don't know that you'd find someone who moves better um, than Sabrina. Mm -hmm. So it's her movement. Her basic hitting is good. You know, I, I think she could lay the ball down a little more on uh, on those drives. Um, but you know, she, she 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 she'll be working, you know, with her coach and probably her dad. Um, but but again, she's a different beast, say than a Gina. And just, and just a, by the way, I just want to say one point about Gina. I think we're going to see Gina's had a great last twelve months, and I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see a big jump from her soon. But Absolutely. I tell you, the jump is going to come. I think the jump is going to come through uh, a mental calmness um, and using her strength a little better. Um, and I think that the calmness is going to make her have a jump tactically. So this is where I think we're going to see a jump there. <clears throat> With Sabrina, I, what, what we see a little bit from Sabrina is this sort of uh, this up and down. You know, when she's up, she's really really strong and then you can see what her potential is but it's not <clears throat> it's not always there and then you know whether whether she's experiencing a little bit of, of uh, a little bit of burnout or a little bit of frustration um so uh, i mean i i mean i i text her every now and again but i'm by no means knowing exactly what's going on with her training when she was here what was important for sabrina was not so whereas using gina as a comparison gina would like to do the two a days a few days a week sabrina doesn't and not everyone is built like that sabrina was a bit like a jonathan there's no yeah. way you know jonathan would train hard but jonathan wasn't going to live down on the club so it's quality shorter sessions high quality yeah yeah for sure uh that that's the impression i got I, even from talking to her and i think that's what she appreciated a lot uh having uh you know during her tenure there at harvard was that uh, i think she said that you allowed her to more or less uh you know obviously she had to you know follow follow the program there but you allowed her to train sort of when she wanted to that that kind of thing it was it was very important that we she didn't need any more pushing she just didn't need it. She needed some guidance. She needed some encouragement. Um, she needed the fee feedback. She didn't need anyone cracking a whip. She really didn't. Right. Um, and she goes to, she, she, she's a different young lady. She goes to, her, you know, uh, she, she, she goes to her own drumbeat. Um, and she needs to, she's always, I think, to find her way and find the love of the sport. And, and for some players, the love of the sport is absolutely not in more, more, more. Okay. And the right. depth so, you know, she's a, in stark contrast to her sister, you know, <laughs> Amanda's, Amanda's just a beast, right? So Amanda yeah. likes the more, more, she likes the discipline. Now let's go and do it. And it's you know, a, a bit like a Gina, if you will, mm. but Sabrina's not like that. And it would be wrong for a coach to train uh, or try and train and work with Sabrina the same way as they would with an Amanda. There's got to be some love. There's got to be some, and there's got to be an, an incredibly good balance in her life. Get away from that squash, get away from the course, get away from the people, do, do the other stuff uh, that you love, that you have any other passions in your life away from the sport and then come back to it. Whenever you do have, you know, five, four or five days a week with a freshness and excitement to play. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, she's she's great to watch. They're both great to watch. Now, um, now you were in the house uh, in Chicago for Ali uh, Frag when he won the the world champs. Now, I'm not sure if you were actually coaching him per se, but you were definitely there, maybe inspiring him or, or you know motivating motivating him on. I'm sure you had some coaching there. But before we talk about that, just briefly, uh, is there any part of you? I mean, having been there uh, for that, any part of you, uh, uh, Mike, that misses those days? That misses the, you know, the pro the pro side of things. Uh, you know, back in the day with JP. I mean, they were they were great times, and, and I'm sure uh, you know you you have a big big that, that's a big big part of you, isn't it? Um, yeah, no, I, I, there's nothing to miss there whatsoever. So I love squash. <clears throat> I love. I don't watch a lot of uh, top squash, and in fact, I only, uh, only get to watch the PSA live when the when the guys on the team tell me, "Hey, Mike, so and so is coming up." I mean, I'm I'm often too busy and, and the last to know who, which matches are coming up. Believe it or not, but no, I enjoyed the visit to Chicago. But they, the tournaments take a long time. I can get a bit punchy um, and bored. But yeah. I was happy to go out there. I, I, I enjoyed the week. I was happy. I mean, obviously, I'm very fond of Valley. And um, so I was happy to spend some time there uh, and to help him navigate a bit because he was a little frustrated um, mm. with his game beforehand. Um, but no, you, I, you know, you, it, 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 there's always time to move on. And there's, there's, there's younger coaches out there. And there's, there's more excitement than that. But I, I love what I do now. You know, here I am with, with, um, with my assistant coaches and 30 plus um, student athletes. And there, there, there's a lot, you know, if, if, if you're a college coach um, with really committed players, um, you're still doing the same things. It may not be at the same level, um, but it's still a good level and it's still exciting. And, and you're, you're, you're helping young people uh, navigate their lives and uh, find some real meaning, uh, meaning uh, helping with their confidence um, and all the mental side that goes that goes along with the stress of being a, being at a university like ours, and so it's very it's a very rewarding job. I love my job, and I was happy to go to Chicago, but no, I'm I'm where I uh, I'm where I want to be. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna if if you don't mind, I'm just gonna park here just for a second though. If uh, you know, uh, just in terms of Ali, I mean, obviously. Uh, you must be so proud of you know where he's taken his game you know to number one in the world world champion uh, is that something you uh, and, and he had a great uh, pedigree coming to Harvard obviously uh, uh, did you know that he would he he could get there? Um, I would say that I would. Um, I mean, I actually told him in you know we we um, we met every day a couple of times a day in Chicago. Um, I mean, I remember one of the conversations was telling him that he is a unique brand of squash player. He plays a unique brand rather. Absolutely. Yeah. And I said, no one plays like, no, no one plays like you. And I can't, I can't recall. I know they always make references to he moves like Janshir because he, he moves so easily, but he doesn't play anything like no. Janshir did. And there's no well, one I was kind of actually, Mike. I was going to say I was going to bring that up. I was going to say he he's similar to Jancher, but I I thought about that, and he, you know, I I I thought that you would say that. Not you're right. Uh, he, there's nothing. Yeah, uh, he might have long legs, but that's about it. <laughs> well, it does, but it's more to do with the ease. You know, he goodness, I don't know what Ali weighs, but it isn't a lot. So he's got a similar body, 
And so, and as skinny as those legs are, the power weight ratio is extremely high mm. in those legs. And so it's the effortless of moving and how he, how he can glide in and out of the front and retrieve. And that's where really the comparison comes in. But as far as saying that, so he moves like Jansha, but he doesn't play like Jansha. Yeah. And um, so you're hard pressed to go back through. I mean, I can't say I, I know, you know, the, the, the whole game as, as well as, uh, as many people. But when I go back thinking about how um, Ali plays, you know, um, I, I think maybe, you know, I see a little bit of Gogi Aladdin in him. I see a little bit of, believe it or not, Phil Ayton. No one's going to bloody know, maybe, but anyway, great English player. Um, you know, so so just you know, uh, uh, you know, so, so the, the the controlling the pace, the using the height, the using the side wall with a deft touch and so on. But but even though one can draw comparisons with other players, um, it, it, it's still you know like you could you could talk about Brett Martin and say, did anyone ever play like Brett Martin? I don't think so. No. Um, you might be able to say, did anyone play like Rod Martin? I don't think so. Um, and I don't think anyone has played the game quite like Ali. So, you know, I told him, so, you know, when he says, look, you know, to me, you're playing this unique brand and it's, and it's beautiful and it's come easy. And, and I think you could be very, very good. But when he was at Harvard, his goal was not to turn pro. And then he, when he graduated, he had to, do his time in the armed forces and it was really that time in the armed forces that allowed him they allowed him to go and play some events and then it was oh i am this good i've got this potential but does it so does it surprise you would i have said back then hey he's going to be number one in the world no but he wasn't really looking again there would i have said yeah can you make top 10 probably top five yeah because you've got that sort of ability. But, but when he got up there, did it surprise you? No, it hasn't surprised me. Um, I still think there's another, there's actually another gear um, in him. It's not so much a gear. There's, there's another level uh, in consistency, you know, and um, that's really, I mean, I'm not his coach, you know, he's got a great coach in Darwish. I'm not his coach and, and, his, and, his, and his brother, who he's very close with, Wael, so between Kareem and Wael, <clears throat> those are the guys that guide him these days, not me. We just, we touch base every now and again. Um, and, and, you know, that to go to Chicago was, was fun and exciting, but um, couldn't really have predicted the way he was playing beforehand of the tournaments before that he was going to do what he did. But, you know, the, 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 the thing that I would say is, is the most uh, wonderful thing is, is actually his, um, which he didn't show in the final of the British Open, of course, but what he showed in the world, and he has shown many times, is his sheer guts and determination. Mm. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it seemed like, uh, I mean, the moment was sort of, Paul was sort of poised to make that happen. And, uh, I mean, he, he was, uh, he had his chance, he got to the final and he took it. Maybe uh, maybe Ali wasn't as pumped uh, as he could have been, but uh, you never know. Maybe he was physically not feeling it either. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be wrong for me to to speculate right now. So I've I, I've emailed Ali. We haven't had the conversation. We're probably going to be talking this week. 
And of course, the focus of any coach is always on on his guy, uh, less uh, more so than, than than the opponent. So, you know, wouldn't want to take anything away from uh, from Paul Cole. Uh, and how wonderful for him to get up there and and uh, and again to, to to have someone else in the game with respect to all those incredible Egyptian squash players. But how wonderful for the game to yeah. have another nationality win, win win a great title. It's important for our game, you know. Um, I mean, the Egyptian squash is just so beautiful, top to bottom. But someone was telling me yesterday, I, I don't, I can't remember, but I think they said there were there were thirteen. Egyptians in the top 20, which is staggering. It's yeah. staggering. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's great for Egyptian yeah. squash. But but we, we must all recognize the fact that, you know, our game is we, we, we need to keep it strong and healthy. And we they've raised the bar. And then, you know, young athletes and coaches from around the world have, 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 have got to raise their bar. And that's that's what Paul Cole has just gone and done. He's just gone and he's raised his bar and said, okay, you guys are going up there. Well, I'm going with you. And then some. And we need that to happen more. So <clears throat> was I sorry that Ali didn't win the tournament? Yes, I was. But what was I also at the same time happy <laughs> to, to see Paul Cole win it? Yeah, I was ha- very happy for him and very happy for the game. And again, not taking it, no, no disrespect to Egyptian squash, on the contrary. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now, you've been great with your time. Mike. Just one more thing before you go. I know, I know the, the pro game today, uh, the, uh, and, and you say you don't really watch much of it at all, uh, but you, you've been there uh, in the past, especially with, with JP. And these days, there seems to be a lot of uh, sort of issues with interactions between players and officials. But, uh, I mean, you know what that's like uh, having uh, spent uh, all that time with Jonathan. It uh, just seems that these days, though, it's, it's, uh, the, the officials seem to be coming down a bit harder on the players. Uh, are you privy to what's going on in the game in that regard right now? And uh, how would you uh, – what are your thoughts on that? Do you think uh, the players are getting it uh, a bit harder from the officials these days compared to uh, – you know, what JP and Palmer and Nickel and the, and the boys used to uh, have to deal with? Or is... Yeah, I would say, I would say the bar's gone up and, uh, and that's a good thing and it needed to. Uh, and it, but, if, <clears throat> in, so, but if people think there's too much uh, arguing or going on between the players and, uh, and the referees, then they've got a very short memory, in my opinion. It's nothing mm-hmm. like nothing like what it was so yeah. um i i enjoy i don't always there's a lot of just like the commentators um uh, you know listening i love listening to the commentators who, who in my opinion are the best of any sport i've ever listened to i love listening to those guys they're, oh yeah they're, they're great brilliant uh, but um <clears throat> they um and they don't always agree uh, with them and, and they shouldn't every now and again there's a there's a call that you just go oh you know that's i can't understand that call that's shocking but I understand the way the officiating has gone and, and it, it, it does seem incredibly harsh at times. But as far as behavior, no, I think the behavior, you know, every now and again, you'll get a match and people shouting out, but I, they're keeping the game moving. I think the referees overall, um, again, I'm not seeing that many matches, but whenever I'm overall, I'd say it's, I think it's pretty bloody good. I like, uh, I, I like what I see. And I like, I like the, I like the video. I actually like the video reviews. And yes, I know you can see the guy in the seat sometimes where it's easier to go to the video review than make a decision, especially if the score is critical. I understand that. It's like, yeah, do you want to be that guy in the hot seat when it's a great call? 
Yeah, I like it. I think it's mm. yeah, I think it's good. I yeah. really, I really think it's good. So yeah, I think the behavior is better. I think the refereeing is good. I think they're sitting on top of it, and yeah. and now and again there'll be adjustments that need to be made, not from the referee but from the player. So do, do, are there some individual players out there that need to adjust? Um, uh, and you know, when when they look back on their matches, you know, um, you know, will will Ali look back? Uh, on the on his British Open match and say, oh, okay, I got to catch that, you know, next time in the in the semis or the quarters or whatever it is, and they need to do that. But the referees have to do their job. There's so <clears throat> even though there might be some disruptions and some conversations, and every now and again you might see, you know, you do see a player going to to get the towel out of the box, maybe a little too soon. But the referees they're sharp and they're they're on the ball. Some might be a bit keen too soon in the match. To, to to you know might be seen to be a bit harsh, but I don't think it's that bad at all. I really don't. No, I, I agree with you. I, yeah, one hundred percent. Especially when we look back at at uh, you know the things that that went on in the past. <laughs> but but uh, and and I I couldn't agree more too. I mean, there's a lot. Just you know they they've made a lot of improvements in terms of the you know fishing for strokes and uh, you know lets that you know balls that could be played and turning those into no lets. Uh, I think that they've, they've made a uh, very good progress in that, in that regard. So it's yeah. it, it is, the biggest are... one, the biggest one is, I think, but the biggest one I think is playing the ball. The guys mm. are playing. They're not fishing for the strokes. They can't mm. play the body as well. Every now and again, a ref, a ref will get something wrong, but overall they're playing more balls. They're making more effort, which is obviously what they wanted to happen. And it's made the game, and it's made the game better. Yeah, there's one that you you mentioned how uh, insightful the guys are on squash TV, and they're 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 very they can they're very they they observe things really well. And one thing I, I noticed in, in a few of the matches recently is they'll they'll pick up on how a player will wrap his racket around a guy instead of you know going to yeah. play the ball, and, and that that's just. You know that that's so clear uh, when you see it when they point it out. It's so clear. It's as clear as day what the player is trying to do there. Yeah. Well, it used to be. Look, and again, <clears throat> you know, back in uh, in in Jonathan's generation and before, it was you know they were coming with a big helicopter. It was much much more obvious. Now yeah. it's just this. There's a subtlety there. They're still trying to do it. And maybe the racket is the racket hand is a little too high if they're going into the front where where the only ball they shot they could have made is a counter drop, which means the hand should be low and extended in front, and they just bent the elbow and the hands up. So some is very subtle, but yeah, because those guys, all of them were players, and all of them all all of them have done, all of them have used those tricks. Yeah, you see, you can't get anything past them, and it's nice when they when they go to the video you know, for the fan at home and they put it in slow motion and you can, you can see and you can get an understanding or, or, or they're the line to the ball just very, very slightly off where it needs to be. And so that just, they can catch their opponent with a hip or a shoulder and, and call a let, but the referees have got better as well um, at getting this. And I don't know what the, the feedback process is uh, throughout the season, but I am, I'm confident there must be a lot of feedback going on from the refs and probably some reviews of the black and white uh, wrong calls. So the guys are giving feedback somewhere. Someone's got to be giving the feedback there because the referee, I think, just tends to get better. 
Yeah, well, uh, definitely, Mike. I uh, really appreciate uh, your time today, and uh, uh, something I wanted to say to you as well. Uh, way back in the, in the day, you you uh, you gave me some uh, inspiration. We had, the, I think I mentioned, we had that provincial team uh, training session with you. It was myself, I think, Matt Easingwood, uh, Julian Boyle, Team Nova Scotia, and uh, we. Uh, I forget exactly but we were doing some ghosting and you told me my feet were heavy so ever since then I, i've been working hard on my footwork mike I, i'm i'm moving around I, I know you'd be more impressed with with my footwork these days i think you told me this i think you told me this before yeah and um so do i remember it no i don't remember it no often when it's, i know you when don't it's heavy feet it's often i know i don't but, but often when it's heavy feet it just means the heels are down at the wrong moment instead okay. of a little split step and a bit of and soft knees. But yeah, no, I don't remember. I'm I working do, on it. Still, yeah, and I still work on it. You still so. work on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, I do remember. I remember Julian and I remember Matt very fondly. I uh, yeah. I still see Matt every year or two. We do a camp together up um, at his club at White Oaks. Yeah. In uh, yeah, well, near, near near right near Niagara Falls. Um, and I remember Julian, I haven't seen or heard of him for many a year, but I remember, I remember very fondly those trips east. <laughs> yeah, good times, good times they yeah. were. Well, uh, Mike, I want to wish yeah. you and the Harvard guys uh, all the best. November 20th, I guess, the men against Rochester and the women uh, as well? No, the Rochester don't have a varsity women's team. So there's no, the women don't, we're away to Rochester, so the women are, the women will be at home training, so just just the men okay. for that one. And it's always yeah. and, it, and it's always a, it's always a tough match. Martin no Martin doubt, Heath's yeah. crew, well well coached, well trained. Yeah, um, always They'll a be ready. Match. They'll be ready. Well, all the best. There you go. Them. They will. <laughs> yeah, uh, really appreciate your time, Mike, and, and thanks for uh, for doing this. Always. All right, Jerry. My pleasure. My pleasure. Well, that was fantastic. Many, many thanks to Mike Way for his time. Uh, I had a laundry list of questions uh, for him and things to talk about, but uh, you know, definitely couldn't get to them all. But I hope you enjoyed that. I know I did. And uh, again, uh, thanks to Mike and all the best to his Harvard uh, Crimson teams, the men and the women. And I know uh, that in the near future, I believe there's, there's a book coming out, Rob Dinnerman's uh, book on uh, Mike Way's tenure at Harvard, I believe. And we're hoping to have uh, Rob on the podcast very soon to talk about that so really looking forward uh, to what Rob's uncovered uh, there as well but uh, again thanks to Mike for for doing this and thank you for listening we've got uh, some more podcasts coming up including I'm hoping uh, we're going to flesh out a bit about uh, the growth of the game Uh, right now paddles really taking off and uh, that's worrisome for us in the squash community somehow some way uh, we've got to try to uh, firstly keep the game alive and secondly try to grow the game and there are a lot of people out there uh, taking deep dives into this you want you on facebook squash communities there's a lot of discussion going on uh, and uh, that it's not a pretty pretty picture that's being painted out there but uh, you know i think these are the types of this discussions that we need to have and uh, hopefully we'll have a few of these uh, people who are uh, really into this uh, on the podcast in the near future that's what i'd like to do uh, going forward uh, we'll have other ones 
uh, other players coming on as well. And uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, we're going to keep them coming. Episode 201, though, with Mike Way. Really uh, proud of this one, and I hope you enjoyed it too. Thanks for listening. Uh, please give us a like, uh, a tweet, uh, comments, whatever, what have you, on any social media. Take, uh, share the podcast with your friends. It's on Spotify, uh, all podcast apps. And uh, again, appreciate you for listening. Take care. All the best with your squash. I hope everyone out there is healthy and well. Take care and have a great day. Goodbye now.